Well, good afternoon, everyone. The H1B guy here. And today, the H1B guy live, June 8th, 2022. Today, I'm going to cover the recent layoffs in tech and their possible impact on H1B visa employees. Talking about the possibility of a second lottery for fiscal year 2023 and the likelihood of it happening, as well as taking your questions and comments. But before we get started, I wanted to ask you, if you haven't already, to please subscribe to the H1B Guy channel here on YouTube and like this video so that I can continue to produce more content like this for you. I also wanted to mention the H1B Guy offers a variety of consulting services. I help businesses and individuals solve complex work authorization issues in the recruitment process while bringing awareness to employment-based immigration benefits. If I can help you, please reach out. I'd love to hear how. And you can book an appointment directly with me via the h1bguy.com. Today's live stream is brought to you by Syndesis and Path to Canada, the ideal plan B for high-skilled immigrants currently located in the U.S. whose status may be uncertain, by perm-ads.com, the industry leader in providing a seamless experience for employers and immigration attorneys navigating the complex perm recruitment ad phase of the labor certification process, and also by Mob Squad. If you're a technology professional facing U.S. work visa-related challenges, and maybe your OPT visa is about to expire and you were not selected in the recent H-1B lottery, our partner Mob Squad has a solution. Join the squad. And of course, as always, links to our partner Sedesis and Path to Canada, perm-ads.com, and Mob Squad are all located in the description of the video below. So I wanted to take some time today as the recent news over the last couple of weeks, um, we continue to hear over and over about uh, organizations in tech, um, as well as even some larger organizations outside of tech, and this recent wave of layoffs that's been occurring. And I tweeted out last Friday that, uh, you know, amidst... Um, all of the recent news of, of layoffs here, the May jobs report came out late last Friday, and it still shows over 11 and a half million job openings or what is calculated to be two job openings for every eligible worker um, that's currently not employed. Uh, and then if we dive in a little bit further, we can see that um, unemployment and technology continues to remain, you know, under 2% as a whole. So that's across all of the technology sector employees in technology specifically. And so when we start to dive in and, and look at uh, some of the, the layoffs that are occurring and the roles that these layoffs are occurring in, well, yes, there have been some that have been in tech. It's been more on what appears to me to, to me to be on the operations side, on the customer success side, on the marketing side. And so we start to look at what does that mean specifically in tech and impacts that it has around software engineers, DevOps engineers, cloud engineers, 
when we really start to dive in and, and get a feel for um, the hiring spree that employers went on at the beginning of 2021, uh, that really continued all the way up until May of, of this year. And now what we're seeing is a lot of changes that, that are occurring in, in the landscape um, for employers that have, have, have gone about hiring, that have maybe looked at consolidating. And so there was a recent post on LinkedIn uh, yesterday, I believe it's still up today, that's titled, Is the Tech War for Talent Over? And it goes on to say, quote, the tech sector's tumultuous year has been denoted by daily announcements of layoffs, hiring freeze, rescinded offers. The numbers are stark, according to the tech layoff tracking site, layoffs.fyi, about 17,000 workers from more than 70 tech startups globally were laid off in May a 350% jump from April. This is the most significant number of lost jobs in the sector since May of 2020, which was at the height of the pandemic. Uh, much of this has occurred in venture capital-backed firms as investors abandon risky bets and seek immediate returns. And then that goes on to list many of the companies that have announced layoffs in the recent weeks. Bird, Loom, Policy Genius, Gemini, um, Coinbase, which has been very much in the news this week about the number of rescinded offers that Coinbase uh, has gone about over, over the last couple of weeks. Um, Fintech, including Bolt and Klarna, uh, pharmaceuticals, right? Uh, marketing firms like Terminus, Cloud Security, like Lacework, um, well-known, recognizable brands, Carvana, Vroom, Cameo. Uh, so as you can see, it, it really is across a lot of different uh, industries within tech. Uh, and then we look at some of the big tech, right? Your Netflix and your PayPal's. Uh, as well as Uber, Lyft, Snap, Meta that have either slowed hiring or are realigning um, their, their current platforms. So when we start to talk about layoffs in tech, of course, the impact that it has on H-1B employees. And we look at what that demand has been specifically um, over the last couple of months if we go all the way back to March and April and the lottery that was held and, and 483,000 registrations, of course, we know many of those registrations are duplications. But the question becomes, here we are almost 21 days away from the deadline uh, for the H-1B lottery uh, app, paper applications to be submitted and received by USCIS. And we start to look at what this impact of tech layoffs could have for possible registrations that have been selected um, working for these organizations and if these applications are still going to be filed or submitted. And, and so I haven't seen a lot of uh, mentions for specifically H-1B employees within these organizations that maybe uh, were laid off and then looking for new employers. It really doesn't seem to have hit this sector yet. 
But what the impact could be as we move forward over the next three weeks is maybe these organizations that were looking at submitting um, applications into the lottery over the next three weeks. And so really interesting. Now, in parallel to that, we see announcements from City uh, that talk about their plans to hire over 2,000 employees in tech between now and the end of the year as they look to increase their technology um, and, and really into this new age of, of digital transformation. So who's being impacted? Well, these are, these are venture capitalists primarily, tech startups that received a lot of funding that now are shifting. Um, the demand continues to, to, to move. Of course, here in the U.S., Every day on the news, we hear about the cost of doing business, the rise of inflation, stagnation now is a term we're hearing more, the impacts of um, the, 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 the war that's going on between uh, Russia and, and, and the Ukraine and how that is having an impact not only in tech, but just in global industry as a whole. And so... Demand still, in my opinion, continues to remain very high in technology, specifically in technology talent acquisition. But we're seeing this alignment start to move in these roles that are maybe outside of technology, potentially more functional, operational, marketing, sales, sales support that are finding um, that they are being impacted and even in recruiting. And I think that that's what's most interesting is we go back to um some of the the posts that i've covered going back to march and february where we talked about recruiters were in more demand than actual software engineers as we look at global job postings and so uh, again to me this is a sign of a little bit of what i would call a market correction uh, as we came out of and em emerged from what um, new life and, and kind of this post-pandemic era looks like. Uh, employers who have been on extensive hiring sprees and talent acquisition, uh, are we beginning to see maybe a little bit of a cooling in that? Um, I, I think it's kind of balanced because where you do see potentially some layoffs or cuts or realignment, you're going to see other organizations um, that are going to use that as an opportunity to acquire and upgrade their current talent. And so when you see software engineers um, really seem to be kind of the fewest that were impacted um, in most of these layoffs, uh, of course, recruiters uh, thrive in opportunities where they see uh, the possibility of someone who may be actively looking, who has a, a technology-based skill set. Um, so I'm interested to know what what you all think about these layoffs. Is this something that uh, that has you potentially concerned? Can you see where it has an impact on H1B employees moving forward, specifically those employees that maybe have been working for these organizations that were had their registration selected in the lottery and maybe their application has yet to be filed and they were expecting that to, to take place sometime over the next few weeks? Uh, June 30th, that deadline is is rapidly approaching, and we're beginning to see uh, and hear of a lot of the legal representatives out there are extremely busy, almost scrambling, if you will, uh, to make sure that, that this deadline of June 30th is, is going to be met. 
So, um, and what now has, has appeared to be over the last several weeks, a daily occurrence in layoffs in tech. Um, hopefully we'll see some of the cooling off of this and, and really kind of a lack of updates <laughs> as it, as it relates to, um, to, to layoffs in a lot of these venture capital backed tech startups. Uh, but wanted to ask you if you haven't already, uh, please make sure to like this video, uh, subscribe to the H1B Guy channel here on YouTube, and click the bell for notifications uh, so that you're notified anytime we post new content here to the channel or go live like we have here today at 3 p.m. Eastern um, on June the 8th. Uh, a lot of you have reached out to me over the last couple of weeks, um, of course, to the aforementioned. A lottery deadline, uh, application deadline for, for lottery selections is coming up. And many of you have asked me, do I still believe there is a possibility, probability of having a second H-1B lottery? And I've gone on record uh, many times now over the last uh, couple of months and stated that, you know, I still believe that that is very highly possible. Um, I think, you know, kind of paralleling with the conversation around these tech layoffs and their impacts on the H-1B, does that mean that there could possibly be a lower application rate? Um, many times we've we've talked about uh, USCIS now with that selection of the 127,000 plus out of the 483,000 plus uh, is stating that they expect there to be somewhere around a 66% application rate. Um, I've talked to many of, um, of my contacts uh, within legal representation, and a lot of them are seeing a lot higher application rate with their clients. But of course, you know, that's going to vary across the board. Uh, but very clearly, USCIS is, is showing and, and, and highlighting the fact that they don't believe um, that more than 66% of the 127,000 plus that were selected are going to submit a formal paper application. So what does this all mean? What does it mean as it comes to a, a second or third round? Um, you know, I, I, I don't think we're going to see three rounds this year. I, I really don't. I think last year was unprecedented in that. And if we go back and look at application rates for the first round that was held for fiscal year 2023, which was 70%, we look at application rates for the second selection, which was around 40%. That necessitated the need to have a third round. Um, I, I just don't think that we're going to see um, application rates that, that are that low. And if we are with USCIS saying 66%, um, I, I still think that there is a possibility of a second lottery to be held, which would mean that application rates would have to be lower than 66%. And if you want me to, to, to speculate on how many available H-1Bs I believe would be available if a second random selection were to occur, I'd estimate that probably anywhere between 10 to 15,000 would be available. Um, so look, that puts application rates then at that point, um, you know, well below 60%, closer to, to, to most likely like 58 to, to, to 50, 57, 58%. And I think the, 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 the differentiation there 
would most likely be somewhere around 10,000 out of a possible 65,000 would be available. And then most likely somewhere around 5,000, give or take, on the advanced degree category would be available. So why? Why do I think that, that there's still going to be anywhere between 10 to 15,000 available? And it really comes back to the duplicate registrations and this low barrier to entry, right? The $10 fee allows individuals to have as many employers who are willing to submit their name and pay that $10 fee and put them into the registration portal to do so. So the question becomes, what's the mechanism for USCIS and tracking um, the duplicate registration, duplicate selections? And very clearly, when you select 127,000 out of 85,000, you're acknowledging the fact that there are several thousand, tens of thousands of duplicate registrations and, and even possibly duplicate selections. Um, so it, it's really interesting. There's a lot of interesting dynamics that are that are going on now as we look at how this electronic uh, portal and electronic registration has has really kind of changed the game in the way the H-1B lottery is held and the way that selections occur. Many of you have asked me on, okay, hey, you know, based on your opinion, you think that there's going to be a second round. When should we expect that second round to occur? And so I've said this a few times during live streams, and, and I think it's worth repeating because I know some of you may be joining me here to a live stream for the first time or even watching this at a later date for the first time. And a, a lot of that comes back to my thoughts around time frame. And so if I look at what happened for uh, fiscal year 2021, and if I look at what happened for fiscal year 2022, uh, we look at kind of some of the trends around that and, and the trends are showing uh, that selection period, April 1st to June 30th, then is warranting that second random selection to occur in the end of July, beginning of October. And so, you know, I, I will still stick with the dates that I've previously stated, uh, which is to say, I think anywhere between July 22nd through August 7th which is three weeks. If, if we go back and look at the calendar, July 22nd is on a Friday. Um, and then that would actually, it's two weeks. I'm sorry. July 22nd is on a Friday. And then August the 7th is a Sunday. So I think you're looking at anywhere really between the 22nd and the 6th. The 7th would be notifications maybe going out, maybe even on August 5th. And the reason why I say that is the... June 30th is on a Thursday this year, and then we have 4th of July holiday, which of course we'll know that the USCIS government agency will not be working on that Monday. Um, a lot of Americans tend to take vacation over that time frame. Uh, so I think that USCIS will have a grasp on the influx of applications that will come in on June 27th, 28th, 29th, 30th. Uh, and then by the the week of the 11th, July 11th, we'll most likely have an idea of what the numbers are looking like. Of course, you know, they've been receiving applications now for the better part of, what, two months, uh, April, all of May, um, you know, 90 day period, right? So we look at, we have almost three weeks remaining 
Uh, so you say for nine weeks now, they've been receiving these paper applications. Um, and I'm assuming approving and adjudicating ones appropriately. Uh, but it's really interesting when we start to look at how this electronic selection, the H-1B registration electronic selection, um, and how it's it's really changed. I, I think it's made the process more efficient for USCIS and most likely for um, employers and their legal representation. Uh, but we continue to speculate specifically for, you know, those 300 and, you know, 60,000 plus individuals um, who were not selected, who continue to wait um, over the, these, these last 90 days to continue to wait to hear of any updates of the possibility of there being a second lottery. And of course, many of you um, have posted questions and comments and reached out to me directly um, about what my thoughts are. And, and my thoughts are that, that I still believe um, it's, it's highly possible. I, I do. I think that, that it's very highly possible, um, that we'll still have a second lottery. I, I think that USCIS is just, you know, anticipating that based on the fact that, that they've clearly stated to the general public, they only expect a 60% application rate on the 127,000 plus that were selected. Uh, so very interesting times here is, is we kind of work through these and navigate these these updated um, policies, processes and procedures that are occurring um, within USCIS. Uh, but wanted to ask you again, if you haven't already, uh, would like you to please subscribe to the H1B Guy channel here on YouTube. Uh, like this video if you haven't already. Uh, click the bell for notifications on my channel so that you're notified anytime I do go live like we have here today on June 8th, 2022 at uh, 3 p.m. Eastern. And um, again, if you're looking for ways that you could support the H1B Guy platform, there are many ways that you can do so. Uh, of course, the aforementioned like, subscribe. Um, but there is also a super chat function that is um, open during the live stream here currently. Or if you're watching or listening to this at a later date, um, there are many ways that you can help produce and support the platform um, in the video description below. Or you can also offer a super thanks via YouTube if, if you're watching this at a later date. Um, I definitely want to roll into your questions and comments. Um, if you have questions or comments, I only see a few in the chat right now. Uh, but I definitely plan to get to those um, in the next like two or three minutes here. I did want to mention as well a lot of uh, what's going on uh, in, in terms of immigration legislation. Um, of course, as I've talked about in the past, there are anywhere between you know three to maybe seven or eight individual pieces of immigration legislation that are either in committee within the House or Senate um, and what that's going to look like over the next few months. Um, right now, though, of course, for any of us who are living in the U.S. and, and keep up with uh, a lot of the domestic news here, um, you know, the, the whole uh, tragedies of these mass shootings that, that continues to occur on what feels like almost a daily basis here, um, you, you have to believe that with the president addressing this last week, um, that this is going to be at the forefront of, uh, of what the, the House and, and the Senate are going to be tackling. 
um, over the next couple of weeks. It, it just has a feel of there's an immediacy in this domestic reform. And so what does that mean for immigration reform? I, I think that it, it means that uh, it, these individual pieces, these standalones, will most likely take a back burner over the next couple of weeks. I still continue to hear rumors about the possibility of a consolidation or a comprehensive uh, immigration reform bill. Uh, I'd be really interested to see what that looks like. Of course, you know, just to name a few pieces of, of legislation that we have out there, the Eagle Act, um, the America Competes Act, the America uh, Children's Act, um, the H-1B and L-1 uh Immigration Reform Act. Um, you've got uh, the 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 bill from uh, Representative Lofgren. That's the the recapture of the spillovers or wasted green cards. Uh, so there's a lot of different pieces of of immigration legislation that are that are currently out there, and we continue to wait on when and if they're going to have their day and and be debated in the various chambers. And one of the things that I speculated. If we go all the way back to the beginning of the year is is that it felt like for reform for this year um that that it would be almost a slow play as we are in midterm elections and it felt like it would almost be kind of a missed opportunity um on the side of the democratic party where where they did have uh, uh numbers numbers to, to to create some immigration reform and we continue to see immigration reform really take a back seat, and it's it's really unfortunate. And so I'm still hopeful that uh, as we move into uh, kind of the next quarter, right, your your July, August, September, um, as as other pieces of domestic legislation find find their way through, uh, that we could see some sort of um, consolidation or comprehensive reform, or even some sort of standalone piece of legislation. Um, find its way in. And, and as I've said many times, I, I feel like the America's Children's Act, um, which is currently in the Senate, uh, has a lot of bipartisan support, feels almost like a common sense piece of legislation. And America's Children's Act referring to documented dreamers who have to self-deport due to aging out. So we'll continue to monitor those pieces of legislation very closely, um, and we'll provide updates here on this channel and on the h1bguide.com as they become available. So let's go ahead and post those questions or comments that you have in the chat. Um, if you want to talk about uh, your thoughts on the H1B lottery, the second round being a possibility, do you agree with my time frame anywhere between July 22nd through you know August 7th, August 8th? Do you think that it's likely or not likely? Um, post it in the chat and I, I definitely want to bring that up. Um, if you have questions around what the July bulletin could look like, what are your thoughts around this immigration reform? Do I, do you feel like a consolidated piece of legislation is a possibility or is it still going to be via standalone? And, and do you feel like any of these standalone, um, uh, pieces of legislation, uh, have a possibility of, of of finding their way to the president's desk for signature. Uh, last week during the H-1B Guy News for the week ending uh, June 3rd, um, I talked about uh, um, uh, a Google exec, um, uh, Basha, uh, going on record talking about support for the Eagle Act and working with 
uh, members of Congress uh, to, to to work through that that piece of legislation, um, which you know looks to resolve the green card backlog, and and does so through a redistribution of employment-based green cards. Um, so really interesting to see big tech get involved as, as it relates to these pieces of legislation. Um, but I'm going to jump into these questions. I only have a couple comments so far. So if you have a question or a comment, please drop those in the chat and I will get to those. Hey, Ramesh, thanks for joining. Appreciate you jumping in here this afternoon. Um, thanks for your continued support. Gotta ask, is there any second round lottery? Yeah, you know, so I spent um, the last 10 minutes or so talking about this. Uh, again, I still believe that there is a high probability of a second lottery, second random selection to be held by USCIS sometime between July 22nd and August 7th, August 8th. Um, the reason why I feel that way is it just really comes down to numbers and, and odds. While there were 483,000 plus electronic registrations received, USCIS selected 127,000 plus individuals, um, which is them stating they expect around a 66% application rate. Um, and so I think that's a very clear indicator that there is a possibility that that application rate uh, if it were to drop down somewhere below 60%, would create an opportunity for anywhere between uh, 10 to 15,000 um, H-1B visas that would still need to be allocated um, by the end of the fiscal year. And as we've seen, that's gone over the last couple of years uh, into February before those numbers and approvals were finalized. Uh, but of course, I'll continue to monitor this. Um, I may plan to do uh, maybe a, a longer standalone type post covering this information probably sometime in July. But thanks, Dada, for joining me here today. I uh, really appreciate you taking the time to, to join the stream. Um, the question is, what is the reason for second, third rounds of lottery? What does it mean to be waitlisted? Okay, great question. Um, so from what I have seen, okay, uh, in, in terms of the reasoning behind it, right? So let's, let's answer your first question, um, which is why, okay? Well, the why really comes down to um, the application rates. Okay. And as we, we look through the application rates, those application rates then, um, over the last year. So the first round random selection that occurred in the first round had a 70% application rate. And that means that the need for a second lottery, second random selection was held. Okay. Um, and if that were the case, only 40% then after that second selection, which was held, I believe the end of, of July of last year, there was only a 40% application rate on that second round. So that necessitated the need to have a third round because USCIS has a legal obligation to assign 
all of the allocated 85,000 H-1B visas that are um, made available annually during the fiscal year, okay? Um, so with that, that being said, your second question, all right, which is what does it mean to be waitlisted, okay? Um, so for registration selection notifications, your online account should show uh, one of the following statuses, which is submitted, selected, not selected, denied, or invalid failed payment. So submitted means the registration has been submitted and is eligible for selection. Um, if the initial selection round one process has been completed, the registration still remains eligible unless subsequently invalidated for selection in any subsequent selections of the fiscal year for which it was submitted. What does that mean? Well, it means if, if somebody withdraws or someone else applies, right? Um, so I would assume for you that this is what it's referring to. You're in the submitted, right? You're, you're considered submitted. You're eligible for a second selection um, in and with, in and with, in and when that were to occur. Um, so great question there, um, but I don't think that we're going to see three rounds this year. Uh, I only believe that that if there is a second lottery held, we'll see that um, towards the end of July, beginning of August, again, anywhere between July 22nd through August 7th, August 8th. But thanks. That's a great question. Um, I really appreciate it. Do PhD graduates get automatic H-1B? No, they do not. But there is in the America Competes Act legislation for STEM PhD, which provide pass uh, to permanent residency uh, via work authorization. Um, so currently, no PhD graduates do not get an automatic H-1B. <coughs> Excuse me. The only time that would be the case, though, automatic would be if it were an exempt institution. So think uh, university, academics, uh, research institutions that are not for profit. And if you're a PhD working for one of those types of organizations, um, then yes, you most likely would, uh, uh, with the, the appropriate evidence and documentation, you'd, you'd qualify in, in that regard. Um, but no, not, not during the lottery selection or PhD graduates guaranteed an, an automatic H-1B. Just wanted to ask you again to please like this video, uh, subscribe to the H-1B Guy channel here on YouTube, uh, and make sure you click the bell for notifications so that you're notified anytime we do post new content here to this channel. Um, I've got time for a few more questions here today. I see a couple more in the chat, so if you have any other questions or comments, um, please feel free to drop those in the chat, and I will do my best to answer those. Um, it's been almost two weeks since we've had an opportunity to go live and do these live streams. Um, of course, as you all know, I, I thoroughly enjoy the interaction and the questions and comments from all of you. Um, I just really appreciate your continued support in this platform um, and really what we look to achieve here, right? Uh, which is bringing awareness to employment-based immigration preferences talking about the talent gap and the demand on talent as it relates to staffing specifically in technology uh, via the H-1B visa here in the U.S. 
Uh, if you're looking for ways to support the H1B Guy platform, you can do so through the super chat function currently in the live stream or through the super thanks function if you're watching or listening to this at a later date. For those of you who check out the H1B Guy podcast that is a repeat of this current live stream, thank you so much for taking the time to watch or listen uh, via the H1B Guy podcast platform. Hey, RRH, thank you uh, for joining me here this afternoon. Really appreciate your continued support um, as you always uh, show up here during these live streams and, and just uh, uh, really appreciate it a lot and I can't, can't thank you enough. So your question is, what are some of the discussion points against increasing the number of allotted EB visas per year? Uh, even if a bill that removes country caps passes, reducing current backlog will take uh, greater than 10 years. Yeah, that's why you see the staggered plan, right, in the Eagle Act. Um, and you almost feel like, hey, can we not just issue out um, EADs with advanced parole rights as, as individuals begin um, to wait, wait this out. But one of the biggest discussion points against the Eagle Act bill is specifically that it is going to give all employment-based green cards to individuals primarily from India and, and then China. So the rest of the world, right? Kind of the way that, that the staggering works um, is the rest of the world would be most likely impacted. But if we're being honest, those, those categories are all current. So it's really a redistribution. Uh, when we look at the 140,000 and and how that's going to to be allocated out, um, I think to me the biggest piece though is the recapture of spillover wastage, specifically in instances where USCIS has not had the processing capabilities um, to 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 process the available number annually. Right, so we go back to last year it was 263,000. And USCIS processed almost 180,000, which was a historically high number for them. I'm hearing reports, though, that the number should be above that this year, but it's still not going to be close to 200,000. So it, it could be if there's a really big push that occurs. There's been an emphasis put um, on increasing processing capabilities and speed, specifically by the director, USCIS Director Urshadu. She's gone on record multiple times and talking about how they, they are uh, very aware of the issue and that they're increasing their processing capabilities. But can they do more than 200,000? And what's that impact for... Um, for those individuals that, that have seen these dates move, that have gotten to a point to where they've submitted their documents and are waiting to be documentarily qualified, uh, this is what's creating this rumor and the continued murmur of the possibility of retrogression at some point in October of November um, of next fiscal year, but uh, in 2022. So we'll continue to monitor that. Great question, but the biggest talking point um, against the Eagle Act is how it redistributes uh, the amount of green cards, and it really would only go to those that are in the backlog from two particular countries, that being China and India. 
Is it a common talking point that H-1Bs take away jobs from Americans? However, I'm seeing uh, employers, especially in, in STEM, having trouble filling positions. What's my take on this? Yeah, I, I think it's it's a misnomer. It absolutely is a very common talking point. Um, but what I have uh, come to find out through my research and also in my experience in technology staffing specifically uh, is that there is this gap in tech and that we cannot find enough U.S. citizens and green card holders to perform certain jobs and thus the need to supplement with H-1B employees, whether that be as a full-time direct hire or whether that be in a contingency staffing type arrangement. The other thing too comes back to wages. And when we look at wages, the average wage of an H-1B employee is now over 100,000. And in fact, a lot of H-1B employees are making more than their U.S. counterparts. So think about that. That is what's really interesting. And it's really interesting because as we've seen wages increase exponentially now over the last year and a half, uh, individuals in tech have been able to capitalize on that. Not just U.S. citizens and green card holders, but H-1B employees as well that are being recruited and attracted to become perm employees of another organization. Why? Because they're already here in the U.S. They already have an H-1B, H-1B change of employer. Maybe they have an approved I-140 and that this new employer is willing to, to do a, an entirely new perm labor certification for them. So, yeah, the, the common talking point is H-1B visa employees steal jobs from U.S. workers. But when most of the data that's sourced and cited is 10 to 15 years old, it's no longer relevant to our current market conditions. And when we look at the number of international students that have been entering into the U.S. and how that number has been significantly diminished over the last two years, the funnel starting to dry up right? It just is. And that funnel is this OPT, OPT STEM, that pipeline that creates workers in 12 to 36 months gaps that are then looking for H-1Bs. But we have to go back to almost a half a million individual registrations were submitted in the most recent lottery. And the demand for H-1B visas has never been higher. The value has never been higher. Even with this wave of tech layoffs that we're hearing about, most of these are in operations, marketing, sales, recruitment, not necessarily in tech. I'm not saying that they've been immune to it completely, but I'm just saying where we've seen a lot of the cuts, it tends to be on the business side and not the technology side. So great question. Really appreciate it. Well, I wanted to thank all of you who have taken the time here to join me this afternoon um, here on June 8th. 2022, a little after 3 p.m. Uh, Eastern, we, we went live. Uh, we talked about today uh, layoffs in tech and their impact on the H-1B visa. The parallel that I'm drawing is that that could possibly mean less new applications submitted um, by the end of the month that were previously selected. Uh, we could see some, some shifting there. We also covered the possibility of having a second H-1B lottery. Uh, and as I've said, you know, the deadline being June 30th, I, I expect us by the end of July, uh, July 22nd, 
through maybe August 8th to have an update on if and when a second random selection will be held. Um, but can't thank you all enough for your questions and comments. Uh, those of you who took time to join me today, I just really appreciate it. Wanted to remind everyone that today's live stream is brought to you by Syndesis and Path to Canada, the ideal plan B for high-skilled immigrants currently located in the U.S. whose status may be uncertain. If you're facing an H-1B denial or OPT expiration, don't get caught off guard. Make sure you have a plan B and Syndesis and Path to Canada are your answers. They will gladly help you navigate the process. And if you want to find out if you qualify, please be sure to use the link in the video description below. And someone from Syndesis or Path to Canada will be in touch. And also by perm-ads.com, the industry leader in providing a seamless experience for employers and immigration attorneys navigating the complex perm recruitment ad phase of the labor certification process. If you're looking to reduce your costs and overhead associated with perm labor certification recruitment advertising, let perm-ads.com help you. And also by Mob Squad. Are you a technology professional facing U.S. work visa-related challenges? Maybe your OPT visa is about to expire and you weren't selected in the recent H-1B lottery. Our partner Mob Squad has a solution. Mob Squad helps technology professionals facing U.S. work visa uncertainty remain working with their current U.S. company nearshore from Canada, as well as technology professionals from around the world who are seeking a opportunity to find a rewarding career in North America. Through their partnership with the Canadian government, they can obtain a Canadian work permit for you and your spouse in as little as six to eight weeks. Whether you're looking to stay working with your current U.S. company or you want to find a new opportunity in Canada, please find out how the team at Mob Squad can help you via the link in the video description below. Join the squad. Well, again, thank you all for taking time to join this live stream here today. Wanted to ask you one last time, if you haven't already, please like this video, subscribe to the H1B Guy channel here on YouTube, and click the bell for notifications so that you're notified anytime we go live like we did here today on June 8th at 3 p.m. Eastern. For those of you who've made it this far, thank you. For those of you who dropped questions in the chat, thank you. Just really, really, really appreciate your support. Can't do it without you. I'm Robert. I'm the H1B Guy, your global source for all things H-1B.